We should be f- more formal with how we uh, tee up the show. Okay. All right. I think I have an idea. Fire away. Today, at its fall product event, Apple is set to announce three separate new iPhones, along with updates to its iPad line, for a company that said it was doubling down on secrecy. Why are we hearing this first from Mark Gurman? We go inside Tim Cook's decade-long war on makers. It's Wednesday, August 29th. Can, can I ask you a question about the daily? It actually relates more to the outro than it does the intro, but I just want to find out if this is only me. What's that? One of the highlights of my week each week is when it's Friday mm-hmm. and Michael Barbaro says, see you Monday. Like, do you ever get that feeling like, oh, yeah, it's the weekend when you hear that? yeah i i yeah i like it i mean i guess you i mean we won't get too personal but i mean you have a bit of a different kind of work schedule but still i i I don't know i when i when i hear that i you know i'm like yeah oh it's friday and yeah that it's two days of not working yeah that's true like i like and and the thing is well i guess maybe it's less impactful for me because i also listen to marketplace on a daily basis that kind of does the same thing Mm. um but no, it's good. And also last week when there was the, um, because of the uh, Cohen-Manafort rulings that pushed the Daily's production schedule back a day, and there was a unprecedented uh, Saturday episode. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's good. And, it's, and also the one thing I like, I will actually say I like even more than the um, See you Monday, is the, on Fridays, he does the, the credits read. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where he... And every week I'm like, I'm like, I was just Google. Hey, what does that person do? And then, uh, yeah, you get to see who, who works on the daily. It's good. That's smart. I, I should do that more. And there's also one guy who, um, I, it, it took me weeks to figure out how you'd spell his name. Uh, how, how do I even look at this? <laughs> uh, now I can't even, I know I don't remember how I figured out how to spell it, but the way Barbaro says it is, Ike Sreese Kataraja. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the one name where I just, I'm like, yeah, there's up. no way, there's no way we're going to be able to figure yeah, out how to spell that. That's fair. Yeah. But apparently he is a, uh, a young uh, radio producer. So. Yeah. So the, the reason that you said that your intro was inspired by me started with me making a comment in the thing. Yeah, you have, you have weird fan fiction dreams. Yeah, I had a dream. This was well, it comes full sequ- comes full circle. Last weekend, um, I had a dream where Jason Snell was co-hosting, or I guess kind of guest hosting the Daily, and I remember it in the dream being a complete surprise. And the very first thing I did, of course, like 30 seconds into the episode was send you a message in Slack <laughs> being like, Jason Snell is co-hosting The Daily. This is crazy. Wait, in your dream, you you use Slack? I did. And, I, and I sent you a message. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, we'll, no, we'll, not, we'll, not we'll just let that weird. marinate there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's good. Yeah. So the reason I brought this up, or the reason I think all this came about, is that uh, Barbaro and and well, the New York Times comms uh, Twitter account posted that they have like this. This perplexes me a little bit, but they've made the first TV ad for the Daily, and that's interesting because they also have. Um, in Portland, Chicago, and a few other cities, they have like full on like not even not even just a couple of print ads, but like billboards. And in in Portland, they have like wrapped streetcars that have like the Daily's logo on them. Like the New York Times is putting a lot of effort into um, advertising and promoting the show, a show which um, I think uh, they said has upwards of maybe a million and a quarter uh, daily listeners. Or at least subscribers, because I know on podcasting you can't really track that. But yeah, but th- but there was a very cool ad uh, that got posted, and I'm interested to to know if that is the first ever podcast ad for uh, or sorry, television ad for a podcast. It kind of has to be right. I mean, because like, this American Life's not advertising on TV. I mean, no. one one they're a nonprofit, and so yeah, yeah. The the Daily is um, it's a big thing, and I I we're we were early on it. Like we we were we were listeners from day one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we 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 are on the inside track. We're like uh, the people that were listening to uh, uh, Modest Mouse before everybody. Else. <laughs> I was trying to think of because because I'm an old the, person. Why was that your first example? I was gonna say Death Cab for Keep. I'm trying to think of what what are bands that are well known. I'm surprised. Enough to... I mean, no, I don't mean any offense by this, but I'm I'm just kind of surprised you even know who Modest Mouse is. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> if, oh, wow. I mean, if I was going to say or that, did you just actually accidentally say two random words that are actually? No, no, I definitely do. And also, I don't mean this in a mean way. <laughs> but I, if between the two of us, if we're going to say who has maybe more indie and uh, cooler taste in music, hmm, <laughs> really? Okay, yeah, like All not right. that. I, 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 I do not. Wow. <laughs> let's let's come back to that. <laughs> Actually, no. Let's stay on that for a second. Um, I just I do, I don't know. I can't really picture you listening to Modest Mouse. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's great music. Okay. <laughs> like, hmm, hmm. Who? This is not a competition, but like, you seem like somebody who's very like like again. Your your Sugar Ray affinity. I, I listen to a lot of mu- movie soundtracks. Mm, okay. That's kind of my thing. Um, what's 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 a current? I'm I'm not going to put you on the spot, but like actually, what what are some um, maybe indie artists that you listen to that are not maybe top 100 artists? I don't listen to a lot of indie artists. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. In college, I listened to a lot of Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think everybody did. Um, yeah, that's kind of that was it was it was for a particular time. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to list any band that. So you know, actually, again, bringing this full circle. <laughs> whereas we were very early on the daily, I don't really think there's any band I could point to to say, "Oh yeah, I I was into them before they got popular." Like that's mm-hmm. you know, I'm the one that's like, "Oh, that that band got popular. I should listen to their music." Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's that's more my thing. Yeah. 
I really like this. This there's this one girl uh, or this one uh, female singer that not a lot of people like, or, or sorry, not a lot of people listen to. Her name is Adele. Mm. She's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if people want to look her up on YouTube, I think, or I think she might. I think she might have a SoundCloud account. I think it's pronounced Adele. No, no, the the the, the accent is silent. Mm, okay. It's it's like uh, Arkle Storp. <laughs> so I've been looking for a new desk, and um, I've I've googled the dimensions of my. Uh, crappy ikea desk many times okay you it can, is you the can rem- use can't you use the vr kit thing now with the ikea app is that not can you do that i, I think all this ar vr stuff is so dumb i i i'm turning super negative on it yeah, you just you're just you're just negative on everything apple does you're an apple hater i i'm not do you have apple do you do short apple stock it is not one of my current short positions. <laughs> uh, no, I would not short the the most valuable company in the world. I do think they don't care about Mac users. Um, and uh, but as an investor, you actually you would probably think that was smart. No, I don't, because I think they have a moral obligation to care about the Mac. Yeah, but morals and investing generally don't have a lot in common. Yeah have you have you listened to the talk show yet? Uh, with uh, Jay Snow. Yeah. No. Okay. You should. There was a very good conversation in the middle that that does touch upon that a little bit. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll move on. Okay. Yeah. Apologies to the to Adele. Uh, Adele. No. <laughs> um, I thought yeah, I thought the joke didn't land the first time, so I thought I would try it a second time. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the keep makes it funnier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first rule of comedy: is if if you say it more more times, it's, I think it's, so. It's funnier. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll we'll kind of. It's, it's like where's the beef? <laughs> um. That's a very old man joke. Mm-hmm. Um, what were we talking about? You want to start the show? <laughs> I would like to read you my daily ad read, but okay, no, that's... Yeah, go ahead. I wasn't sure I got my inflections right. Mikey B is he's he's hard to imitate. He's good. I messed up the bo- the the last part. It's it, you have to be very specific where you say it's Wednesday, August twenty ninth. There's a very specific way he does it. There is. Although I think you made the observation right that when they did their end of the year kind of recap and mm-hmm. they were airing various episodes from the year kind of consecutively during the last week of the year you could really hear the difference like in an episode from say september compared to an episode from april yeah the audio quality and also the the um speech cadence and the inflection and, and all that kind of stuff it, it was different but it's yeah. it, it's good yeah it was great. Got better. Everything's everything's great all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Twenty eighteen. There's there's so few things that I genuinely just either find um, un, is unqualifiably the word like without reservation are just good. Mm-hmm. And and the daily is one of those things where it's like uh, like I don't know. So there's very few things like that. Yeah. Other than the Instagram dogs and the daily. Not a lot to live for these days. <laughs> or there's there's very little that's um untainted by uh there are very few things that are not problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Let's get into things we're supposed to talk about to keep the advertisers happy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, let, let's let's Tesla first. Okay. Uh so yeah, so um in in a, in a blog post because Elon Musk first and foremost is a blogger. He did not uh, he did not tweet this. 
No, but yeah, apparently eventually when you, when you're trying to backtrack from your, um, uh, drug induced, uh, we, we joke, um, of, of taking your company private because you're upset that people criticize you and, um, expect you to act like, um, somebody in charge of a major public company. Yeah. He, he wrote a blog post called staying public where, um, he says, Earlier this month, I announced that I was considering uh, taking Tesla private. As part of the process, it was important to understand whether our current investors would be behind the strategic goal. And then blah, blah, blah. He eventually says, um, after considering all factors, I met with the Tesla board of directors yesterday and let them know I believe the better path is for Tesla to remain public. The board, unsurprisingly, uh, the unsurprisingly is my insertion, indicated that they agree. So this this was a really weird week and a half long episode that I think will probably still result in like uh i'm not saying like legal action well actually he's being sued multiple times over this but from the government i'm not sure the sec is going to sue him but i think there will probably be an inquiry into what the hell the uh tweet was and whether or not that constitutes uh stock manipulation or um what's you're a finance person what's the term for when you don't give like adequate disclosures or do fiduciarily responsible things for a public company I don't know. I don't know if there's an umbrella term for that. I, yeah. um, he needs to smarten up. Yeah, yeah. If, I mean, if there's not an investigation into what happened here, I think that would be really disappointing because it, as far as public companies go, this was completely unprecedented. And the way that it was handled, so that there, I mean, there was the initial event, there was the initial tweet that was really bad. But then I think everything that's happened since then, where Tesla's board just blatantly kind of raised their hands and were like, yeah, we didn't see this coming. We're going to kind of retroactively respond to it. And then now, what, less, less than three weeks later? them saying that they've come to a conclusion that they've decided this isn't the best move yeah bro that's called due diligence and that's that happens behind closed doors before you float the fact that you're going to take your company private it, well that and the due diligence takes a whole lot longer than three weeks <laughs> so even like the they, they they didn't even do a good job of pretending like this was handled correctly so not only was it not handled correctly but then the cover-up also wasn't handled correctly. So if, if an investigation isn't prompted by this, then I, I don't know what would prompt an SEC investigation. Like this, this, was, this is about as bad as it gets if you're a public company. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you know, I've, I've worked in the finance department for public companies. I've seen firsthand how carefully those companies handle press releases and... Uh, material financial events like it is a mm -hmm. it is a very very careful process yeah like musk didn't even put stick the uh forward-looking statements discloser on on the end of his tweet it, i mean it's <laughs> i mean yeah that's 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 that's, that's uh, like uh one-on-one stuff yeah Come i mean on, but dude. but you i mean so you i mean i know you say that in jest but it actually does touch on <laughs> legally i think you do have to say that <laughs> you, things you, like you that do completely you do, but, but yeah, you're, you're touching on that exact kind of idea that I'm getting at, which is public companies very, very carefully 
go you know go about the way that they announce material events and numbers like to the point where they insert these <laughs> kind of comically you know over like bo- bo- boilerplate yeah uh, cover, like the cya stuff Ex- exactly yeah um so to see a public company not do that and then just kind of you know very blatantly not even try to pretend that they were doing things the right way it's it's a very very odd situation it's almost like 2018 is the year of abandoning norms Mm, almost yeah almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. problematic yeah so yeah i think that's uh, we we don't need to make this the the elon show this time so let's 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 move on happier things um actually actually, this is a happy thing we do another happy episode no mm. no that that's a once a year thing actually that's a once a leap year thing <laughs> like four years uh on episode uh 380 i think i did the math right uh so the year is a happy story uh do you remember uh was apple pay released on the 5s or the 6 oh, man if, if there were a quiz that had you list or like or like a some kind of test that had you match major features to the iPhone that they first were introduced on. I feel like I'd I'd be like sixty percent on that. Well, no, okay. Well, so you just you just messed up. So now now we're going to do that. Which phone was the first one to have a Retina display? That was the iPhone four. Okay. Which one introduced Touch ID? That was the iPhone five S. Correct. Uh, which was the first phone to uh, be courageous enough to not have a headphone jack? <laughs> that was the. Uh, which one was? That? Wait, how was how was this the hard one? That was the. Wait, so we've had. One, two. Was that the? That was the iPhone Seven. <laughs> Correct. Um, which phone uh, first? Uh... Actually, well, okay. Actually, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm better at this than I thought I was. I'm not so sure. It took <laughs> like 45 seconds for something to happen a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, but it feels like four fo- years ago. Which phone was the first one to support video recording? That's a, that's a good one. That was the iPhone 3GS. Correct. And this is actually one I don't know the answer to. Was copy and paste introduced in iPhone? And remember back then it was called iPhone OS. iPhone OS 2 or 3? I think it this might, I don't know. I think it might have been later than that. No, I think it was. It's it wasn't because I remember it, the i the iPad had it, and the iPad was released in the spring, and it launched with iOS, not iPhone OS three point two. Yeah, but that was but that that was the spring of twenty ten though. No, wasn't the iPad twenty ten? Mm, when was the iPad released? Oh, this is fake news. It's Google. Ninety-six percent no. uh, of the stuff on this page is incorrect. <laughs> Fucking Lou Dobbs. Um, iPad was released April third, twenty ten. Thank, Thank you, Wikipedia. I, I, I accept your apology. Wait, why? What? Because I because I said twenty ten. You said no. Oh, sure. <laughs> you see, you see here, you're complaining about that i don't remember things that happened a year and a half ago and you don't remember things that happened 30 seconds ago i'm too busy listening to hip indie music (laughs) (laughs) 
Mountains. <laughs> yeah, turned turned down the uh what was it? The Modest Mouse? Name one popular indie group from the past three years. I I couldn't do that. No. Me either. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I, I all I do is listen to pre twenty fourteen Taylor Swift and that's basically it. Actually, so yeah, let the, can we can we pause for a second? Uh-huh. Um, so I, I think I've been pretty forthcoming that I listen to movie soundtracks mostly, like when I'm at work or just, you know, need some background music. That I actually didn't know. No, we, we, we had to have talked about that on air. Mm-mm. Okay. Well now we have. So what, what is, <laughs> what, what, like, what's your equivalent? Like, what do you listen to when you're working or you just like need something on the background? So that's actually really interesting, actually. So let's, let's throw out the agenda. Like, uh, because this, this will bring up another question that I've been meaning to ask for a while. So I, th- there's two things. So one, I have a, a good number of podcasts. So if I'm working and I'm not like heads down, like having to do a ton of math in Excel or stuff that like requires my like absolute undivided attention, I am generally listening to podcasts. If I am bored of podcasts or something, or like I just maybe want just to turn off my brain for a bit, I will generally just put my Spotify, like just my entire library of saved music on shuffle. And that will generally consist of like, I mean, I will generally listen to like a lot of pop music. Um, I I enjoy Taylor Swift and such, but um, yeah, that's mainly it. Yeah. Like I I like a lot of music. I'm not one of those people that says I like everything but uh, country and rap, but it is also mostly that. Hmm. Yeah. um, I will... And it also depends because sometimes I will, because this will go into the question that I'll ask later, but my Spotify library is, um, it's weird because I don't have full albums in there. It's just like my favorite songs or songs I was really into for like a week. So therefore that Spotify library basically only consists of like 600 songs. Uh, Sometimes I'll get bored of that and then I'll flip back to Pandora, which every time I open the app will try to get me to up grade from pandora one to pandora premium which is really upsetting as a paying customer to be told that you're not paying them enough i think it's called pandora plus now oh i'm sorry i'm not paying for them for the right product for them not to annoy me (laughs) um it's really bad like yeah it's like if if like uh you you went to you opened up you uncorked a bottle of wine and on the bottom of the cork it said you should buy the nicer wine oh that's a good idea (laughs) yeah are you drinking anything tonight or no uh, I no, I I have some sparkling water. Mm, okay, that's uh, Soda Streamed or Lacroix. Uh, Soda Stream, yeah. Mm, wait, did you? Uh, was yours broken or is that somebody else? It it, it was broken. Yeah, you bought a new one. Uh, we Same were one? we were gifted a new one. Ooh, <laughs> the best kind. The the the, mir- the miracles of a wedding registry. Mm-hmm. Wait, you put a new one on there even before yours was broken? No. Oh, you you knew it was broken. You're like yeah. it's been, it's been broken for. Man, it's been it's been a couple of months. So, oh no, living a very flat lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? Yeah. So Spotify or like, yeah. So I I will generally listen to like a, a decent amount of pop music. I also like I like enjoy like rockish music from like the two thousands to like twenty twelve ish. Like I, I don't encounter a ton of new bands I like. Hmm. Um, and I also like some classic rock and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I, yeah. I, I have to, I have to interrupt. Sure. The fact that you refer to it as rock ish makes me a little skeptical. Well, cause rock, I, 
It, it makes like name a rock band from the two thousands. Well, no, I, I think I would ask you to do that. I'm trying to think. Actually, it's probably more <laughs> indie rock than anything else because I mm. like I don't because by the two thousands the Red Hot Chili Peppers weren't good anymore. Like they were good for a little bit, but they they ended up being not good for a while. And actually, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's mostly like uh, indie-ish music. Okay. Actually, let me open up Spotify real quick. Uh, artists. Well, so while I'm looking that up, um, what? Um, when was the last time you used iTunes? Other than putting together an episode of this program, you still use it for that. Yeah, I use it for all of the metadata and album art. Don't you? I don't. I don't like Marco Armas' use, tool. Use Forecast. No, mm -hmm. I, it's, I. Have you ever tried using it? I uh, no, because I have somebody else to do that. <laughs> it's it's not very good. I mean, no no offense, Marco, but it's just it's not very good. Using iTunes is better. Mm -hmm. Like the one and only thing that it does better for Forecast is it encodes the audio a little more quickly, but it's like literally. 45 seconds in itunes versus maybe 30 seconds in forecast which eh, you know yeah. is ed sheeran rock music i mean he's in san francisco or he was in san francisco this week you should have gone and seen him uh no i'm good <laughs> um but is he i don't know i i can't tell you yeah um so my, i guess the thrust of my the thrust of my question behind that is that Back in the old days, sorry, back when people used iTunes. Oh, you mean the, uh, what was the phrase? It was like your, the central hub or something of all your. No, that that, that was Apple's digital hub strategy. Digital that hub, was more about, But that was more about iLife and OS X in general. But I, th I thought iTunes was a big part of that, though. Well, that was one of the quadrants. Because mm. Apple's big on quadrants. You remember they had their, back when they had a, a product line that made sense, they had the, they had portable and desktop and they had pro and consumer and everything made sense. And now they have like six laptops that none of which are very good. Mm. But the thing with iTunes is like back then, like I, I actually had like a music library and now I don't. And I feel like that's a move for the worse that comes when you have streaming services. Like there's very little permanence to like anything that I have on Spotify. Whereas iTunes, like over years, you would add more albums to your collection. You might have more substantive playlists and you had maybe like you, you collected like some type of musical identity. Whereas on streaming services, because you can kind of just search for anything, you, it feels like that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm in a little bit of a unique situation where I did not grow up and I'm still not like a, a really big music person. I mean, music has its place in my life like it does with everybody, but like music's never been a, you know, a me, like a, a big thing for me. So the kind of transition from owning a music library to simply streaming one hasn't had a huge impact on me, but I, I could totally see someone who, music meant more to them how kind of giving up the idea of owning music would be a bit weird yeah but but not even owning music just mainly because i because like yeah that's the whole impermanence of streaming music but like just not really having 
like a, a, a canonical collection of it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, what was, what was before that digression? What were we talking about? Uh, I think we were talking about intros to the daily. Mm, yeah. Today. Um, yeah, you got to say it. today. Today. Yeah. Wednesday, mm-hmm. August 29th. Does he, does he say the year? No. He doesn't say the year. No. He does not. No. Got to pause for the theme music. You got, it, it, it's, a, it's a very regimented thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So we were talking about happy stuff. So I forgot how we got started on music. But yeah, so currency. Mm. Oh, that's where... Oh, okay. We're, we're, I, I'm re-threading the needle or, or I'm peeling back whatever. Let's... <laughs> I'm, I'm putting the I'm putting the banana back together, um, <laughs> uh, or unpeeling the banana. There we go. Oh, if, that, if, if the, that's if that's not the show title you write down, I'm going to be very upset. Uh, I'm I'm very distracted. Today. <laughs> um, let me close this work remote desktop window. Um, um, un- you should be unpeeling the banana. You can be in charge of show titles. Um, because I I meant. Uh, un- like, because you would say like an onion has layers, and peeling back, uh, peeling the onion. <laughs> you would, so unpeeling the onion. Yeah, but the reason that that expression works is because an onion has multiple layers, whereas a <laughs> and I, a this, banana this conversation has, has had multiple layers, and I'm undoing. But well, but that's what made that's what makes what you said problematic is because a banana only problematic. Has... Hey, hey, hey! Whoa, that that term means something specific. So let's not throw that around. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Problematic has problematic has has come to mean uh, generally associated with uh, like bad behavior. Yeah, problematic is is a word that now means something very uh, th- that you can't use. It's um, man, I, I have not been to school for a while. Connota- connotative. What's what's the opposite of connotative? <laughs> Denotative. We Hold should on. we should probably just start over again. Hold on. What's what is the op- so connotation, an idea, or feeling? that a word invokes say what's what's the opposite denotative <laughs> yeah so denotative uh, mean, is the literal def- definition of word so yeah so problematic like it's it th- haven't you noticed in the past two years ever since many things one like the trump presidency and also the me too movement and many, many other things yeah problematic means something else now hmm yeah so anyway my my use of idioms was spot on and you're going to tidy this up in editing so that yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> I sound brilliant. We'll clean this all up. We'll have the show start right now. Today. <laughs> yeah. Nation of Leakers. Um, currency. Get hashtag, what was it? Against the bias? Stop, stop the bias. <laughs> what about Tobias? <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is a professional show. Mm-hmm. Currency. That's where this... Uh, so tracing this back, that's where the iPhone discussion came from, is that window... Okay. 30 minutes ago, what was the first <laughs> phone to have Apple Pay? That's a, See, back I think to where we started. That, so yeah, so going back to was your little the quiz, 6? I think Apple Pay? Maybe, I, I, maybe I'm pretty good about remembering which iPhone a certain feature came out on. I think I'd probably be less good about which version of iOS it came out on. I think Apple Pay, though, was iOS... No, it's not the iPhone 5. What are you talking about? Sorry, uh, uh, Wikipedia. That's not right. Wait, so how did you... How did you... I did, I'm, how I'm did, just on the... Uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page for Apple Pay. How did you authenticate Apple Pay before Touch ID? No, that can't be right. Hold on, hold on. 
Okay, the service is compatible with the iPhone 6, 6 Plus. Okay, so it's the iPhone 6. Yeah, they're saying there, there, was that, a, there was an Apple Pay before Touch ID. No, I think they're saying Apple, like, where it says, like, because on the side of this Wikipedia page, it's listing a whole ton of devices. I assume they mean devices through which you can use Apple Pay, like, inside apps. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, so it was the iPhone 6. So, <laughs> going back to what we were originally trying to talk about, uh, many, many astute listeners will remember there was a thing that, like, Apple Pay came out. And contactless payments were already sort of a thing, but nobody used them because they were um, very opaque and um, difficult to understand. And then Apple released something that was simple to understand, and therefore everybody hated it. Or sorry, all the all the gatekeepers and merchants hated it. So there was a consortium of people who said, you know what, no, we're not playing ball with Apple. We're going to make our own thing called currency, stylized all together, meant to sound like currency, but it's current. See, and they were like, "No, we're going to withhold support for this, even though we have payment terminals that could support NFC and probably already do. We're going to turn all that off because we want to have our own smartphone wallet um, that may or may not involve QR codes, which everybody, everybody verifiably loves. Um, and we're we're going to force people to use that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like um, currency, which was a product uh, of the merchant." customer exchange hmm. um uh has uh, either disbanded or they have uh, abandoned this so yeah so basically we we had to put up with uh two years of a bunch of uh outposts or, or like retail uh presence like not supporting apple pay for no good reason for something that never materialized and alienated customers so i'm Somewhat sympathetic to the idea that you don't necessarily want to fall in line with Apple and you want to be able to control more of your customer data through your own payment platform. Like that, that makes sense to me. It's not what's necessarily what's best for the consumer, but you know, I get it. But when you try to do that and your solution is something that's objectively worse in this case qr codes versus nfc that's where it just it seems so disingenuine like at least make you know a half-assed effort with making something seem like it's as good of a solution it's because they can't though because that is the one thing which um so on the other side of the coin like apple won't allow anybody to use like, because this actually at this year's WWDC, they announced the first uh, sanctioned use of the NFC reader or broadcaster. I don't know what, what, what if it works bidirectionally, but like they were like, oh, you can load like um, access key cards yeah, and for, like for door locks, me- right? Yeah, and like meal tickets and stuff for like uh, college campuses and stuff. But that's the first time that NFC was going to be allowed to be used for anything else. So I assume even if they thought. Yeah, let's let's use NFC, but let's just have people open an app first. I assume that wasn't permitted. Where on Android, you definitely can, but on on iOS, you can't. And and I guess that may like I mean, and, and that's Apple's prerogative. And and for customer confusion and stuff like that, like Apple Pay is really really well implemented and laid out. And it's for moving people to contactless payments. I think it's the best system that could possibly exist. That works within the confines of of what we already have, and I and, and like you, yeah, 
I am sympathetic to what they wanted to do because the problem with Apple Pay and Google Pay and Samsung Pay, they all they're encouraging people to continue to use credit cards uh, rather than debit based transactions, and that kind of reinforces the two point seven to three and a quarter percent um, credit card processing and transaction fees that exist. And and I, and I understand that's a huge cost of doing business. But also, like, people knew this wasn't going to take off. Like, uh, uh, QR codes are robot vomit. Like, that's what it looks like. Nobody actually wants to use it. Most people uh, don't know what to do when they encounter one, and most people don't ever want to use it. And, like, if you've ever seen people to, using the thing at, um, like, at a ballpark when they're trying to show their StubHub thing, or if they're trying to... <laughs> Right. Like and and then people are like, oh yeah, turn up the brightness, and then now the brightness on your phone's all screwed up. And or if you accidentally ever open up the Starbucks app at your house and it blinds you because you're trying to go to bed and you tapped on the wrong icon, and now like you can't go to sleep for two hours because your retinas are seared. Like there's so much stuff that's not good about it and it's inelegant about it. And Apple coupling this with like pretty tightly regulated biometrics on the phone and making the user interface pretty pretty smooth, like some things that apple does uh less things recently but some things work really well like it, it was the best way they could have done it and this group was basically like you know what? no we don't actually want to do what's most customer friendly we think we can data mine customers and cut costs by doing this thing that we know won't actually get adopted and basically we're just going to um uh, just set back adoption of more secure payment technology for a long time because we want to be sticks in the mud. Well said. So good riddance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, on this note, since we're we're a very powerful and influential podcast, I'm going to put on notice uh, Target. Knock it off with Target Pay. Uh, I'm not going to use your app to pay. I'm not signing up for a red card. Like we can just make this easier. Why? Why? Just this. It Stop. Legitimate question. It, it, mm -hmm. How do you pay at Target digitally? Do you do you load an account like you do for Starbucks? You, oh, you, you mean like if you wanted to do things the Target way? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you, it's, so this is actually, I think we've talked about this on the show. So Target used to have two separate apps. They used to have the Target app where you could do online shopping and stuff like that. And then they had an app called Cartwheel, which was like digital coupons and stuff. And it was actually kind of cool. Now they have flattened that strategy and they now have one integrated application just called the Target app. And inside of it, there's a wallet application where you can load in your Target red card. And I think you can also load in some uh, debit cards and then you pay using a QR code or not a QR code, but one of those, um, it's not a barcode, but it's a more data rich horizontal barcode. Got and basically you can pay it. like that. Okay. Because, you know, I, I definitely, you know, want to give Target more of my credit card information. Well, and, and that's and that's the thing where, like, with this, like, it's like the even if like, I think actually currency or like the merchant customer exchange was actually fairly upfront about this. Like, they are not like they're pretty upfront about the fact that it's a dating mine, a, a data mining operation. And like very few customers could be like, oh, yeah, that's that's how I want to do this. If I'm going to go away from taking up 30 minutes writing a check at the counter at Target 
or uh, not knowing how to put my chip card in. Like I'm going to use my phone and do this in a way that gives the company that already lost all my data and gave it to hackers um, through lax security policies uh, more of that information to target me and retarget me on the internet and send me coupons for stuff I don't actually want. Eh, good riddance. Mm-hmm. I think that's it for follow-up. Uh, let's uh, I, I, let's rearrange a little bit. I want to know why you're mad at Euro. Or I want to know why, what's, 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 your, what's, your, what's problematic about your Wi-Fi. <clears throat> so I think I've been very positive about Euro on this program. I think I bullied you into buying one. I've generally been very happy with Euro. Mm-hmm. Over the last, this has been going on like maybe six to eight weeks. I've been having this issue with just my iPhone. So no other device. My Mac, this doesn't happen. My iPad, all the lady friends devices doesn't happen there. It's only with my iPhone. But every time, or just about every time, I come home after being away, I'll, you know, go to use the internet, whether it be an app or Safari or whatever on my iPhone, and it'll say that I'm connected to Wi-Fi and it'll have full signal strength and everything, but nothing will load. No web page, no app, nothing. Until I turn Wi-Fi off, turn Wi-Fi back on, and then everything's just fine. And I've done some Google searching, which kind of had some results that indicated that other people were having similar problems with their iPhone, but there was no resolution. I've emailed Euro support. They've been incredibly unhelpful. And so I'm kind of left... Like wondering, do I replace my routers? Do I wait for the new iPhone and see if it's still an issue? Because again, it, it it's just limited to my iPhone. But it's it's really really frustrating. That's a bummer. Um, I'm not going to be helpful because my answer is just going to be go super IT manager and and go with like a ubiquity setup. But because I I had similar products and i think you actually said you had the same issue um when i got fed up with eero and it might have just been like a bad software update that they eventually fixed like i was having an issue where just like in the morning hours like just it would be super slow and time out and stuff like that until i turned wi-fi on and off again and this was in particular on my ios devices i don't i don't remember that but hmm like and, and that was really annoying. And I would always do the things like you can always go into, I forget, it's, it's like 192.168.100.1 or whatever. You, you can get to the um, your Motorola surfboard modem and you can restart your modem remotely that way. And sometimes that would work, but like a lot of times it was just the Eero being weird. And you can go into the Eero app and and force to, and like and reset it that way. But that that's, that's a pain in the ass. So yeah, I, I can see how that's super annoying. And also, you brought up a good point, or something that that I that I often find annoying. And this this was a, like an experience I had with Squarespace, where the support is like there's no way to suggest that like you know like I, I, I contacting support is generally like a last resort, and like there's very little way to communicate. Like I've looked at the knowledge base, I've Googled, I've been on forums. Like I'm I'm tri- I've like I've I've looked into it, and they're like I assume like their support people are just um, quoting 
like support pages on their website and saying try all this random stuff that you may have already said you've already done is that what's going on basically and that's that's challenging just because like i mean because eero is we're like so yeah they're kind of like squarespace where like yeah the support is allegedly good but it's also not that good because they those are companies that either skew super tech savvy in in the sense like that they are like advertising on upgrade and podcasts and, and, and nerdy stuff like that and there are probably those people that are evangelizing it to people who are very non-technical where who think like this is a uh, a very consumer focused or like solution that is um has a slick app that will help me do most of the stuff where i think the support gears almost entirely towards them so that if you have done the research and tried to figure it out on your own you're basically not going to get anywhere until you've gone through like four or five back and forths and generally the turnaround time or at least like with squarespace it was it was literally always a, a full business day before you get a reply back yeah. Well, and to add insult to injury with Eero specifically, you know, they've come out with a third generation hardware device, which basically is like, you know, yeah, now your second generation device is garbage. So you should, up, mm-hmm. you should upgrade to the, the third generation one. So, so I, I'm, I'm in a situation where I, I think I'm probably going to wait until the new iPhone to see if it's something specific to my phone but it like i'm to the point where if i have <laughs> a single wi-fi issue with a new iphone i'm literally just gonna throw my arrows out a window and the wire cutter recommends the uh the netgear orbi system for mesh Meh. networking i think that's the one that jo- uh, joanna stern likes too yeah it seems, seems but like i think it's... those are really big though yeah but see i don't really care about that well, actually, yeah, no, you're right, because you're never going to see them. Or hopefully you don't interact with them ever. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. Ideally. You know, what is it? It's, it's supposed to be like, yeah, Wi-Fi is like good plumbing. It's supposed to be invisible or whatever their ad reads. Unless you're like resetting your routers every other day like I've been. But mm-hmm. but anyway. And I can imagine you're walking over to it like to muttering, God damn it. I, it well, it, um, mm. <laughs> Wait, oh, I'm not wrong at all. No, it's, oh. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. I mean, like, hmm. <laughs> very very back. very much a first world problem like mm-hmm. perhaps the definition of a first world problem but like wi-fi yeah my my mesh uh my mesh uh, home wireless networking is weird on one of my devices <laughs> yeah you've you've hit <laughs> but I, I think you you touched on it a moment ago which is wi-fi should be like plumbing you just you set it up and then it kind of just does its thing and you don't really think about it and that's just very much not the case right now for me. It should be like an irrigation system. Well, that's it's not a great. That's the joke. It's not a great analogy. Yeah, uh, my Wi-Fi setup is like your irrigation system. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is very probably very reliable, but also completely impenetrable. Completely impenetrable to anybody else. Like, like I have a fucking server farm in my closet. Although, does your does your um. Does your Wi-Fi setup also suffer what my irrigation setup is currently suffering through, which is a puppy trying to tear every piece of it apart? Well, so that was what I was going to say, is that if you throw your arrows out the window, you unfortunately have Branson, who will probably bring them right back to you. <laughs> it's it's literally his, his main purpose in life. Or he won't, because he's actually starting to get really smart, where he knows what he's not supposed to have. And if I go to try to get it from him, he runs away. <laughs> 
So perhaps he would just run away with an arrow, and that would be fine. Good boy. Um. Uh. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I mean, like, so you just wait for the new iPhone and just see if it. Well, so if it so, the so the la- the lady friend talked me down. Well, she does. Oh, so she doesn't have the same phone, right? No. So she has the iPhone eight. All right. Well, a- but she's a- on this iPhone eight plus. But you're, if it was an iOS bug, you're probably both on the update version, so that would be apparent. Well, and well, like I said, but my my iPad is fine, and it's you know it's obviously on the most up to date version of iOS. But I well yeah, I explained this problem to her yesterday, <laughs> and I, I concluded it with I think I'm just going to replace all of our networking equipment, <laughs> and she and she goes, well, why don't you just wait for the new iPhone to see if it's just your phone. To which I was just like, damn it. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's probably the fiscally responsible thing to do. Because um, this mesh this mesh networking stuff is, it's not horrifically expensive, but it's also not a impulse buy. So deciding to ditch Eero and go on like this Orby setup, I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. It's like a, a two pack of these things is <laughs> a very specific 32376. No, it's not. That's Amazon's pricing. Well, th- that's what I said. It's on Amazon. Well, yeah, but Netgear's MSRP is up. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say it was Netgear's MSRP. I'm just saying it's it's, it's this is Amazon. <laughs> get, well, yeah, you, get off like, my ass. Looking, I'm just <laughs> well, but Amazon uses all the algorithmic stuff. They're, they're, again, they have uh, the, all that customer data that M- MCX wanted. I, <laughs> I bet if we went into that uh, Amazon store, it would be. Three, oh, yeah, three, you, three twenty-four. Well, actually, I wouldn't know what the price was. Oh, yeah, you, you go scan it. Actually, wait, hold on. Wasn't there literally a Netgear store right next to the Amazon <laughs> there store? Maybe I should go. You there. Need to go to San Jose. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll bring my euros in there and say I just need to get rid of these things. Mm-hmm. Please recycle them. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. Um. Boy, this, we're covering lots of ground today. Oh, well, so so speaking of um, uh, wireless networking, let's talk about cord cutting. Yeah, okay. This actually has multiple facets to it, and there's the most interesting part is Amazon's point in it. But this, I guess, this will start out with uh, you'll put a link in the show notes uh, of, of the Verge story, where Comcast is kind of recreating the the cable bundle through over the top services, where for a while now Comcast has had um, uh, Netflix built in or as, as an available option on their x1 box and apparently you can also have netflix um build like hbo and stuff on your cable bill but apparently they have also announced a deal to have um amazon prime video as a a component of its x1 service so as tech companies start making more first-party content and that stuff being spread disparately across different platforms where you have to think, um, uh, man, it's, uh, House of Cards always used to be the, uh, like canonical example of a Netflix show and, and now it, it can't be. So I can't think of what, what's their popular show right now. Stranger Things. Stranger Things. So you want to watch Stranger Things. That's, uh, so that's on Netflix. You want to watch the, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. That's on Hulu. You want to watch, um, Patriot, that's on Amazon Video. So you now have like all these things that you could loosely define as channels. And uh, Comcast, uh, who specializes in bundling 
channels, uh, making that for customers, which basically puts us to the point that all this pick and choose over the top stuff is basically the same thing that if you want to watch all that content, eventually you're either going to have like 11 subscriptions once all this stuff matures, or you're going to have somebody who aggregates those things, um, into a package that people want. So I just find that kind of interesting. Yeah, so a, a couple of thoughts here. So the first is, much like the daily, I feel like this is something that you and I have been very much out ahead of, where we, we've been very firm and consistent in our opinion that this whole idea of going, you know, I'm using huge air quotes here, going over the top is basically just going to end up mimicking a worse version of traditional cable TV where you're going to end up with all these different disparate services that are on all these different platforms, unlike cable TV, which is on a single unified platform, all of which are going to have a monthly fee, which when added together is probably going to end up being more than your cable bill. So there's that. And then the second thing I would point out here is I, I take a little bit of an exception to the Verge's premise here, which is that Xfinity, which is just Comcast, is accidentally recreating cable TV. I, I think that's a little naive. I think Comcast knows exactly what they're doing here. And this is something that I've been also saying for a long time, which is the other thing that's really, really short-sighted about the idea that, oh, we're just going to have IPTV and it's going to be great. Like, screw the cable providers. Uh, by the way, the same company that's providing your cable TV is also providing you your internet access. So of course, as you transition away from traditional cable TV and use more streaming services, your cable TV is going to figure out a way to ensure that they continue to monetize you in a way that they've always done. So I don't think there's anything accidental about what Comcast is doing here. They They see where things are going and they're going to ensure that they continue to make these new services available on their platform. Yeah, like because that 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 is the point where like that I've been making for like ever since the start of the show, which is uh, the the cable company is going to figure out how to get the same amount of revenue out of you regardless. If 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 you move everything to being delivered over the internet, they will just introduce data caps and stuff like that, or adjust the price of uh, data access appropriately to make up for the lost revenue of canceled video subscriptions, and. Like I think it's slightly different, but it also kind of makes sense. And I and I think it's a little bit um, trickier or more curious with Comcast specifically, just because they have so much, um, like they they have their hands in so many like content creation pies, where like they have their own first party stuff and they push a lot of that stuff through um, their cable service, and they also have um, I think it's called Xfinity Stream for certain markets where they offer um it's kind of like youtube tv uh but you don't have to have a cable box like i mean like it's it is like youtube tv in the sense that you don't you can get comcast cable stuff but as a strictly like iptv type solution so they they have that going but like i'm not sure they're actually going to succeed at this because like I mean, unless comcast gets a lot more flexible or agile with how you can how quickly you can subscribe and unsubscribe from things. Uh, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to make sense for a customer to use like a regional monopoly for this kind of stuff. I do see a point where maybe, um, 
there's somebody that aggregates uh, these over the top services into like a pick and choose type thing in the same way that like with Sling TV or YouTube TV, like you can just check a box and say like, I want HBO is included as part of this. But like, I don't know. I'm not sure that ends up being Comcast. I think eventually they just raise the price of internet and put in sensible or, or like, a, a, sorry, data caps that are sensible to them to discourage that type of thing unless you're using a bunch of zero rated stuff from Comcast entertainment properties. Yeah, but I mean, there's another problem with what you just said too, which is that so many of these content providers are being purchased by content distribution networks. So it's going to be impossible for there to, to be any sort of independent party that comes in and becomes the kind of neutral aggregator of this stuff. Like, I should, well, hmm. I, I, well, so that's interesting. So how much content... Well, so even though the Justice Department is objecting to Time Warner's... Um, or AT&T purchasing Time Warner, like, do you, companies want more money rather than less so even then even if comcast has a preference for trying to make sure you watch top chef or stuff that they own like they still want other people to have it because they know like if if you're in an area that they don't serve or you can't be their customer like they're not gonna withhold that from you so like i mean you're it's just gonna be more expensive overall like i don't know I, i just don't see people or i don't i don't really see a future where you even if you don't live in an at&t market you go to AT&T and you just check the boxes of all the stuff that you want. But actually, I, but now that I think more about it, I don't see who the third party, the neutral third party ends up being. Yeah. That is, that is the billing aggregator. Right. But I also, I also don't see a world where that's your cable company. It's, it's, it's almost like IPTV's not going to work. No, it is going to work. It has to. So, so can I get into my story or can I get, can I pivot this a little bit? Please. I kind of think I'm going to become a cord cutter. Yeah, that that makes sense. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh. You don't really watch a lot of TV. Yeah, so that's the thing. So I... And also, uh, Mikey B is a cord cutter, apparently. Mm -hmm. So that (laughs) has that going for it. Although he he works a lot. Yeah, and he also spells cord with an H. (laughs) It's a type. I'm I'm just I'm kidding. But like the only time I and this is probably maybe a lot of this is probably just because I hate um the TiVo next generation Hydra interface, but the only time I switch to my TiVo now is when I want to hate watch Fox News or watch Better Call Saul. Everything else is done through um Apple TV. And this is where Comcast actually seems for all the crap people give it like kind of an agile company in the fact they've actually made pretty good apps. Like I I take issue with the fact that if you want to watch streaming TV on your computer, their website is still flash based, which it's 2018, but their iOS apps are actually pretty damn rock solid. So do you ever see a time? And and actually there was another story in here, which I I forget. I don't know if I forgot the link, but, um, or I think it was a fast company article where they were saying like Comcast doesn't really care if you have their box anymore. And like, why doesn't Comcast just make a um, Apple TV app and treat their service like it's an over the top service, which their iOS app actually already does. I I kind of wouldn't be surprised if they eventually do because I'm like, again, like I'm fine with paying them for the content but the the cable TV part of it, and and also my my dissatisfaction with TiVo, is like that 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 
part is kind of ruining the TV part for me. And Comcast has the advantage of because they can do the thing that they do with Netflix where like they co-locate the content, you can avoid a ton of the pitfalls that um, YouTube TV and, and DirecTV now have where you face the same like internet delivery issues of streaming high bandwidth, high definition content. So like, like they, they got to get on that. Isn't that what they did for the Xbox? Like, didn't they have a short lived thing where you could watch live IPTV on the Xbox through Comcast? They did. I, I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but probably not. Cause it, like everybody was like a crying foul over, over net neutrality uh, whenever that happened, even though it never was reaching the public internet. So yeah, so I don't know. I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna cut the cord, but I really think I'm gonna maybe get rid of my TiVo, because like I just other than Giants games, which this year um, it's not getting a ton of viewing, or it's just not that um, pleasing to watch. Um, yeah, like I, I, everything else just goes to the Apple TV. Yeah, I have to admit that, and I don't. I don't mean to step on maybe a future topic we're gonna discuss here, but when this rumor came out about amazon potentially coming out with a tivo like box i'm really interested in that because i i do dearly love my tivo but there are just so many little things about it that i'm starting to get a little tired of and i just don't see a lot of progress being made that i I mean maybe i'm a very very niche market but I, i do feel like there's just a huge opportunity for someone to come in and do kind of like what TiVo does, but bring a fresh perspective to it and a certain level of dedication to it that TiVo just, for resource reasons or whatever, hasn't been able to do. Yeah, so like, let's get into this topic. And I'm going to do some unoriginal reporting here where I'm just going to read something I wrote earlier where on like the TiVo subreddit, like somebody put a link to this this project, which is called Amazon Frank. And like, so I wrote, like, the reporting and rumors are vague, but I hope it kills it in, in terms of, like, killing TiVo. TiVo under Roe v. has become a hot mess, and mine almost it never gets used. I've had it since 20, uh, 2002, always loved it, but it hasn't stayed competitive, and the ways in which it allegedly has have made the product worse overall. I know it's a tough business with streaming and over-the-top, cord-cutting and mobile changing how people watch TV. They just aren't prepared to give a compelling product on either side. They're making the traditional... TVR component worse with every generation, and they'll never make an Apple TV Fire TV competitor that's as fast, easy to use, or extensible. The TiVo Hydra update, poor guide data, and several other little things have made me consider cord cutting, uh, keeping cable and using it only by streaming in ways that I never thought I would. Go for it, Amazon. Like I, I, I like I'm I'm really over TiVo, and even though I know the Amazon thing won't be what I actually want, like there's no competition in this space, and somebody like. Like I, I just I don't get where what TiVo exists for anymore because all the like all the um, ancillary stuff that they keep adding and all these interface rep- refinements and like one pass and that kind of stuff. Even though Apple TV is not that good and like nobody really understands what the TV app on Apple TV is for, and there's all this like um, media politics stuff where like Netflix has no incentive to support it and all this kind of stuff like. Even with all those caveats and issues that Apple TV has, it's a billion times better than TiVo. Like if you ever use your TiVo and you accidentally hit something where you get dumped into a streaming service, like you're like, oh no, what's going on? Because it looks like there's like some weird like Java or Flash application loading on your TV box. Like it's it's just a mess. 
Right. And for all of its faults, imagine this universe, which is never going to happen, but imagine how great this would be where you had your Apple TV just as it is today. You convert the TV app into basically just a cable card viewer that has a great up-to-date guide with, you know, Apple's kind of slick UI and polish. Like, how great would that device be? Like, that would be incredible. It would be awesome. That was the same thing. Like, God, we this is this is the same conversation and the same thing that like like Microsoft has tried to solve this so many times. Like, if you remember, what was the? Wasn't there a weird version of Windows where like certain TV, uh, certain computers would have like TV tuners oh, built into them? There was. What was it called? Um, oh, I had one of these Windows Media Center. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So they had like this weird version of Windows Vista or Windows XP, and like they would, like it would interface with, like a cable card. And actually, Microsoft's inter- in uh, implementation of it was actually not that bad because if people remember who are very old, fifteen years ago they had a service called Ultimate TV that piggybacked off of um, I think it was DirecTV, and it was kind of like this merging of MSN TV. Wow, God, I'm old. Um, or sorry, web TV, uh, where people who had the dial-up connection, they could plug in a box kind of like TiVo to their computer and have 56K access on their tube TV um, and do email on their on their television set. But yeah, like Microsoft had, just like everything, just like with the iPad, how they totally missed the boat on tablet computing, they were ahead of the game on this as well, trying to figure out a way to use your computer or an internet-connected device to provide an easy way to watch television. And that's the same thing an Apple or Amazon could do is just fi- like use the most efficient way to get the content on screen and just put interface polish around it and make a thing that people want. It seems like it's it, like it's super simple, but I, I TiVo seems to not be able to get it. So maybe Amazon can. Maybe. I, I don't know how firm these Amazon rumors are. There was that initial kind of rush of stories and I haven't haven't seen anything since. Do we have any sense I, of timing or anything? No. But- but I'll wait. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like uh, like all these streaming services, they're they're all trying to reinvent the wheel. Like Hulu's Apple TV app is is so weird. Um, Directv now actually wasn't bad when I was using that for a little bit, but like it, I, I somebody somebody's got to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and for like the most recent like reason why like IPTV won't really be there. Um during the NBA finals and also during the world cup, like YouTube TV crashed multiple times. So there is still is reason to support like your idea, which is just that there is, there continues to be some type of link to a traditional cable infrastructure until the internet delivery gets there, which is probably still a ways away. Right. Yeah. Uh, quickly related to this amazon allegedly thinking of uh buying a movie theater chain because why not kind of kind of makes sense they yeah. you know have really as as you're very famous for saying have kind of doubled down on <laughs> <laughs> their content like they 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 seem to have a very vested interest in that side of the business and you know there there are weird kind of um archaic rules around the type of movies that are are eligible for awards like jason snell i think has done a good job on 
upgrade and on his other podcasts explaining kind of the nuances of this. But, you know, there are like with the Oscars and other awards requirements around having to not only stream your movie, but making them available in a physical theater in certain cities for a certain period of time. So, you know, this could be as simple as Amazon wanting to kind of check that box. Or I think more likely, actually, it could also be very similar to what their Whole Foods purchase was, which is a way for them to collect a bunch of really interesting data and to not only dominate the, you know, kind of internet world, which is kind of where everything is going, but then also have their, you know, hand in a physical space where there's always going to be, you know, some demand, like as much as things are going online, both with shopping and with movie viewing, there's always going to be some cases where having a physical presence is going to matter. And so for Amazon with the resources they have, you know, why not do both? That is absolutely right. I like the physical world isn't going away. And I know everybody thinks or like, or like everybody, a lot of people who like examine technology and, and, and like internet based businesses are all like, Oh, we're all just gonna get shipped everything to our house. Like, no, it's it, the whole point is that data and um, companies that can understand consumer preferences better can make the real, I don't want to say better, better is the wrong word, but can make that stuff more engaging rather than just having in the same way that people complain that like cable companies are dumb pipes, like that, that there aren't just like dumb retail stores where like nothing changes and everything is the same experience for everybody. Like, and, and the thing that concerns me a little bit is that as Amazon has just boatloads of money to experiment on this kind of stuff, it probably in some cases will lead to like certain people or certain things being worse off as Amazon, because Amazon has enough money to try to do a lot of experimentation. But if the movie theater you like the most becomes Apple's experimentation thing, and they were just doing a land grab because they wanted a physical space to try some stuff out. Like, yeah, that ends up kind of sucking a little bit. But like that, that, that is eventually what things like the real world's not going away. It's just that technology will eventually make it better. Right. All right. Um, do you want to talk about iPhone stuff and then camera stuff or um, what do you want to do? Yeah, I think the iPhone stuff is somewhat timely because I, yep. I anticipate more of this stuff to leak out um (laughs) there might even be an an event announcement between now and the next time we talk although maybe that's still a little further out because of the holiday hard to say um but yeah in any case we're we are we are very much getting into iphone season and are two to three weeks away probably from from seeing these new phones um so German had a a story that kind of outlined not only the iPhones but sort of everything that Apple's going to announce in their September event. So, you know, <laughs> so much for the whole doubling down on secrecy thing. Um but, but you know, also completely vindicating what I've been saying for a handful of years now, which is the day of there ever being any kind of surprise Apple hardware announcement is it's just it's never going to happen again ever. Um, so anyway, um, I, I guess, you know, the, the people who would listen to the show would probably know the details of what German's talking about here. So I don't think there's a ton of need to recap a lot of that. 
Um, but what I think is really interesting is this, this the way that the iPhone product lineup is going to be presented this fall because you're going to have the situation where you have two different screen sizes of your kind of top of the line phone but then you're going to have a screen size which is in between those two sizes of a phone that at least in some ways i guess primarily around screen technology is going to be inferior to your top phone there's just there's so many questions that raises around naming conventions and around you know kind of product strategy and marketing I, I just I'm I'm having a really hard time imagining like what Apple's pitch is going to be this fall. Yeah, it, it might be that I'm not paying attention, but I have no idea. Like I, I've so the, yeah, the like German's rumor or probably you can take it pretty much as well as fact, but yeah. So there's there's a revision to the iPhone 10. There's the iPhone 10 Plus or something, and then there's going to be like a, a something that looks like the iPhone 10 that's cheaper. But yeah, it, it, there, there's so much that's up in the air in terms of one, how they how they frame it, how it's marketed, and also what the hell they're going to call it. Because like, do you foresee a future where it's called the iPhone nine and the iPhone eleven? I don't, I don't think so. But but also, you, you're skipping over a, a kind of a minor point here. But it, I think it's kind of a big thing with what I'm kind of trying to get at, which is in a world where there's a you know kind of iPhone ten s and then an iPhone 9. I mean, I, I don't know what the names would be here, but like in a world where there's an improved iPhone 10 and then an, an improved iPhone 8, like it it would make some sense to me if there was the, you know, upgraded iPhone 10 with the same screen size as we know today and then the iPhone 10 Plus and then, you know, an iPhone 9, which is basically the same size as the upgraded iPhone 10, but with an LCD screen instead of an uh, OLED screen. I, like that that would kind of make sense but but the fact that this new um edge to edge lcd screen phone this upgraded iphone 8 is going to be a different screen size which is going to be in between the two screen sizes of the high end iphone that's what i'm really hung up on like i just i don't i don't understand like what apple's pitch is going to be about that also it's a point of clarification so with the it's still very high, and this is always a point I keep debating, but like with the one that's the $700 phone, which I guess allegedly in Apple world people would call a mid-range phone, is that only going to come in the 6.1 size? Yes. Is that the rumor? Yes. So is there no reasonably sized phone for people who want to spend less than $1,000? Well, yeah. I mean, that that's a... Well, that's insane. Well, so I, there's I, a... Yeah, there's that, yeah, there's that angle... And there's also just kind of the idea that the kind of iPhone 6 screen size is basically just going away. So if you like that phone, sorry. Well, it's not even that. It's like because the iPhone 10 compared to my iPhone 8, it's maybe like the dimensions are maybe like a quarter of an inch bigger like because of the edge-to-edge -edge screen it's actually not that much bigger so that's still what i would consider a medium-sized phone but to say that like you can't get a phone that's of a sensible size unless you want to spend a thousand dollars to live in the apple ecosystem that sucks 
Yeah, I mean it does. Why do you, why do you have to have a why do you have to have a comically oversized phone? Whether you want to spend at the very very top of the line and spend whatever twelve fifty or whatever the fuck the Apple the i the ten S plus with golf pencil is going to be, like, <laughs> or you get the you get the lower end one, and it's going to be like seven fifty for a sixty four gig phone, but it's also fucking gigantic. Like that that's that seems there there must be something missing from this like because that's. No, I see. I don't think so, though. Because, like, be- sure, even even if there's like an iPhone SE two, like you can't. A, I know Apple, like, oh, they're like, oh, we're gonna tell the market what it wants, and we will kill off the popular products. But like, I don't see a world where they think that anybody who wants a phone, because the the iPhone eight, even if you look at just like you exclude the ten, the iPhone eight has to outsell the eight plus by a wide margin. Like, I, I don't think it's like eighty to twenty. But the 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 plus is not more popular than the the medium sized phone. I I don't know. I I my guess would be that there's two things that have gone on inside of Apple over the last handful of years that they've probably been a little surprised by. One is I think they've been a little surprised by the popularity of large screen sizes. I mean that's pretty evidenced by the fact that they were so late to the game with the iphone 6 well in the whole lawsuit that they had where they they straight out admitted that they were getting beat by samsung on the large screen phone exactly um and how you know ever since then they've continued to again as you would say really lean into kind of having their top of the line features be available in those bigger screen phones and then I think the second thing, which is probably equally important, and has happened a little more recently, starting with the iPhone 10, which is, you know, you can look at Apple's financials and see that the average selling price of an iPhone has continued to grow fairly substantially, has, has grown faster than the rate of actual individual unit sales. And so I think Apple now understands that in this in this world where, you know, where, you know, carriers are kind of subsidizing phones in a way where you make like these monthly payments on phones where you don't really see that $1,200 or $1,300 price tag. You see, you know, $45 a month or something. I think if Apple can continue to squeeze a couple hundred dollars more on the top line into a, you know, three or $4 extra, uh, extra dollars per monthly payment, they're going to continue to do that. (laughs) I, I maybe in America, maybe in America, like I, I don't, I don't think it validates the product strategy that Apple has based on the fact that Americans don't know how to use money like that. That but just because thinking about everything on a monthly basis can't be, I, I can't reasonably assume that people can't multiply by twenty four. I, I, I just, I, I, I understand that I was wrong. Like people can listen back to old shows, like. Even though when the iPhone 10 was when like at this point last year when the iPhone 10 was coming out, a lot of the rumors were like, "Oh yeah, this phone's gonna be fifteen hundred dollars and it's gonna be super expensive." And eventually, it did come out that it was gonna be a thousand dollars to start. And I was pretty negative about the price, and it sold better than I thought it would. I will totally own up to the fact that I was wrong about that. But for any phone to now have that level of an entry price and to say that because it's financed either through the Apple upgrade program or through carrier financing. Like I just, 
I don't think people are going to buy that. Like, I mean, like, I, I, like I have a lot of data that suggests that people do that. There, there's a reason why the old generations continue to sell. And the same way that people talk about Tim Cook's Apple, where he'll continue, can, he will sell anything until it barely runs iOS anymore. Like, I, 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 I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't think $41 phones ends up being the absolute norm. And I don't think Apple, even though they want to keep pushing ASP up as far as they possibly can on top of the services revenue, because they only want to give you five gigs of iCloud storage. Like, I, I don't think the baseline iPhone ends up being $1,000. That seems wrong. That seems like a misguided strategy. And even though they've been able to like, and I know, and I know they're also confused about their laptop strategy and stuff like that. A thousand bucks for a reasonably sized phone is too much money. Well, and you, you do bring up a good point around, I think my theory around, you know, pricing is premised around having these subsidized monthly payments. But that's not the way it works in basically the rest of the world outside the U.S. And it's also not subsidized in the U.S. either, generally. Well, but I mean, it, like it, 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 it's subsidized in the sense it, that it there's is. no finance charge. Well, but, there, but you're still paying the full price. If you if you walk into AT and T and you go on an AT and T Next plan, the payments add up to 24 months. So the only thing is that the cash outlay isn't there. But subsidized in the sense that you're then getting a different rate on your service. It, it, it's it's still it's still the case where you're getting a cheaper rate on the service if you go through or you're, or you're getting the rate that it should be because there's no longer this vague subsidy baked in like there well, used to be. But, okay, I mean we're all we're saying potato tomato, thing. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I I'm I'm soup uh, this year more than anything else. I think this kind of feels like a do or die time for Apple to figure out what they're doing with this lineup because. For a number of reasons. So this is something I don't think we've talked about yet is what happens to the iPhone 10? Like like this year's phone model, can you buy it come October? Yes. Well, actually, no, 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 you're no, you're not. The the stories have been you're not going to be able to. So no. But doesn't that seem really unlike Tim Cook's Apple? Uh... Like, cause like, cause that's the thing. Like the whole, and this has actually been that way ever since actually even Steve Jobs' Apple where... Uh, the iPhone just keeps they like they expanded how many generations they'll keep selling for a while, but it's always been the new one comes out, the old one slots down a rung, gets a hundred dollar price drop, and eventually again it was like two to three generations under uh, Steve Jobs, and now it's four generations with Tim Cook, it, because they want to try to hit all these price points without actually designing products that were made for that price point, which is the same reason they struggle in India and so many other countries. So. But all the rumors say that the iPhone 10 doesn't continue to get sold, and there's this new version that, again, is still nameless, or we don't really understand what it's going to be called, and then there's going to be a new phone. But they're probably going to keep selling the iPhone 8. So like, I think Apple needs to be courageous, get some courage, and figure out how they actually want to market this to people and clarify what the iPhone lineup is. Because if the iPhone 10 doesn't continue to get sold, then does the iPhone 7, since like they're still selling the 6S, is the 7 still around? Is the eight still around? How do you properly position and market the quote unquote mid range phone, even though from just a sheer size perspective, looks like it's higher end than the iPhone eight or the iPhone, whatever the new iPhone 10 is? Yeah, I, I really, yeah, I really don't know. Uh, have we gotten, has Gurman talked about, is there a new Apple watch this year or is that still is, likely, yeah. but not, okay. Yeah, there that's, is. that's, 
basically as good as gold. Yeah, so it's it's in that same Bloomberg article. So it's going to be the kind of Series 5 watch, which is going to be similar physical dimensions, but going to be an edge-to-edge display similar to the, the newer iPhone, so that the screen itself will be bigger. But similar form factor, compatible with the straps, all that good stuff. <sighs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, just it's it's fascinating to me that I feel like we're going into this Apple event knowing more than we ever have before. But I, you know, I very much look forward to all of the punditry going into the event over the next couple of weeks that kind of pretends like we don't know what's going to happen. You're right. Ish. I, I, I think that we know a lot of stuff. But again, the most interesting part of this, even though we are in a world where leaks are going to happen, no matter what Tim Cook says, or no matter how many threatening memos they send out. But the interesting part that is still wholly unknown is how are they going to market it? And that's the thing. I want, I want to hear the coherent strategy behind what the uh, what this product lineup looks like, the product lineup that contributes 68% of their total revenues, and like what 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 they're doing about it. And what I want to know what they call it. Because I, I can't see a world where it's the iPhone 9 and 11. And it can't be called the iPhone uh, 10s because people are going to call it the iPhone XS. Like uh, there was a really good discussion about this on on that episode of the talk show. Like it it we we know a lot, but we don't know how the book is. We, we have chapters, but we don't know how the book's going to fit together. So, on one hand, I completely agree with that, and I I think from the T word circle perspective, that stuff is really really interesting. I think from the general consumer perspective, they don't give a shit about the way that Apple angles products in a announcement like this. And they're just going to go into an Apple store, figure out what they can afford, determine which phone they like best within that budget and buy it. I think, I think a lot of this, a lot of this marketing stuff, I think is a little overblown. I don't think it is. I I, I think that people, because it's, it's not just a bunch of stuff laying out on a table. It's it's the way Apple t- differentiates the features. So I I think a lot of that it, it, I I think it's still unknown because at that point then there then there be then a lot of people would still buy the iPhone 6s because on paper and how it looks compared to the iPhone 8 is very very similar. Most people aren't going to think about the waterproofing. Most people don't give two hoots about uh, whether it charges wirelessly. So. A marketing does have a ton to do with it, and if Apple has like I, I'm, I'm not, and when I say I want to know how they fit the narrative together, I don't necessarily mean what does the keynote look like. I mean what does the what does the what does Apple dot com slash iPhone look like? How are they telling people why these things are different? What are the features that they're holding back? Because like that that is one of the things that Apple does really well, which is they segment the line pretty well, where there's a clear decision a customer is making based on features they want do you want this edge-to-edge screen do you want face id do you want this kind of stuff like that that's that's stuff that marketing has to tell people because otherwise everybody would just buy the same car it has four wheels and it gets you to a place yeah i mean that's that's fair i I guess maybe i'm maybe there's a middle ground here where marketing does factor into buyers decisions like what you're suggesting but I also do think in our in our T word circles we get a little hung up on emphasizing how much that matters. And also to like bring this thing full circle, like 
when Phil Schiller's up there telling people like the iPhone 11 plus works with Eero and none of the other ones do <laughs> like, that's going to be something that's important for you. And that's going to motivate your buying decision. And that's a marketing decision. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. The cheap ones work with Orby <laughs> and all of them work with ubiquity because, uh, it's a pain in the ass to set up. Um, so to round this out, like, so before we get to, to actually, can I, can I propose something real quick? Please. Let's lump Better Call Saul into two episode chunks. I like that. Yeah, I like that. The, yeah, I, I think it'll be better. It's that way. a, um, it's not a slow moving show, but it's, uh, but it's, it's not nearly as episodic. Yes. It's, it's methodical. Yeah. Um, I did like that mic line though. You asked me to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. This this one's probably going to be a completely me discussion, but I, I did want to bring up that uh, this week, uh, Nikon announced their first two full frame mirrorless cameras. Yes. And this is noteworthy for several reasons. One, because the legacy camera manufacturers, Canon and Nikon, have for a long time been like, oh, no, but like mirrorless is not a, it's not a real technology. This is not like people love the way DSLRs work and blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, they, they've, they, they've been deliberately not paying attention to this category for a while. And Sony has made a lot of inroads and they've made with their A7 series, uh, both with the A7R2, A7R3, and a few others. They've captured actually a pretty sizable chunk of the market. So Nikon finally did something about that. So they have two new models that are coming out that, that uh, talk about premium pricing. Uh, the Z7, which is going to be their model that competes probably closest with the one that I have, um, which is going to be $3,400. And then they have the Z6, which is $2,000. The Z7 is going to be a full frame mirrorless camera that has a 45 megapixel sensor. It's going to be kind of the mirrorless equivalent of the Nikon D850. And then they have a lower end version, the Z6, which will be out later this year with a 24 megapixel camera uh, or 24 megapixel sensor. And um, yeah, the, the, the first non like uh, old style digital cameras from one of the top two players in digital cameras. So what, what did your camera cost? With just the body, no lenses, 32. Well, so that, that's not, this isn't that big of a premium then to $200. No, no, no. Like it, but it's also, yeah. It, so it's super interesting because it, this is one of the things that this is maybe just like a camera nerd type of thing, but, and this is also like crosses over with the Apple thing is how, how do they market it and how does it fit within their current product lineup? Cause like, because digital cameras are moving away from the point and shoots and it's all specializing in like the niche, um, premium or professional segment. Like, what is Nikon going to do with this product lineup to still protect their um, existing legacy businesses with DSLRs and that kind of stuff? So there are some, like, weird decisions that they made with this one, where, one, this camera system has an entirely new lens mount. It doesn't use Nikon's old F-mount system. Um, so basically, if you want to use any of your old Nikon lenses, you need to have a, a lens adapter on there, which they're going to bundle in for $100, but it's $250 if you buy it separately. Otherwise, they are making their first uh, three uh, first-party lenses. But otherwise, it's it's breaking with a whole lot of tradition, and um, it's totally different with that respect. 
The battery life on this camera looks like it's not going to be very good. Um, they've gone with a single card slot as opposed to two card slots, which is a move that a lot of people see as being a way to s still steer people to the old legacy systems because that's a feature that a lot of pros do rely on. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's really weird and also really promising and a big validation of what Sony has been doing for a long time. So I'm I'm very happy about it. I don't, I don't know if steering people back towards dslrs is necessarily what they're trying to do i think it's more a function of nikon's been slow to adopt a mirrorless body type and now that they've finally started to you know get their toes wet as you would say mm -hmm. they're <laughs> they're they, they just they don't have all the features there which is anytime you're coming out with your first version of new hardware you're not going to match what other hardware vendors have been doing who have been in the game for for years so i think it's just them i think it's just a function of them catching up and i think the you know mount adapters evidence of that which is this camera represents a transition but it's going to be a, a slow transition so I think that the lens part is absolutely true. Like the, the new lens mount is something like where they did have to break with the past and they're figuring out what they want to do and they're trying and that the, the lens adapter, which I mean, in, in, in meta bones and a few other people make um, like uh, easier to move into the Sony E mount system. If you have a lot of legacy Canon or Nikon glass where you can adapt that really easily. And this is something that they had to do, but the stuff like the, the really small battery um, and the, single card slot but making it yeah this this th it's so weird this camera only takes um uh what is it called x is it qxd yeah it's uh, no xqd maybe whatever whatever that fast sd card format is and the weird thing is it's a sony product <laughs> where sony doesn't even uh put this format in 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 their car in their cameras yet but because it's slightly larger um it is a faster card but um, right now, that's not really that important. Like, it, it's it's taking away a feature where a lot of people, like, if you're somebody taking, like, mission-critical photos, you set your camera up to do simultaneous, uh, um, like, kind of like RAID 0 uh, or, like, RAID 1-style rights, where if you have a card failure and you're shooting, like, a wedding or, like, you're a news reporter, where, like, they you, people can't just redo it. Like, that's really important to people. And that's going to rule this camera out for a lot of people. So like so that just feels like it's an intentional decision where I just kind of kind of wonder why. D does your Sony have dual? Oh yeah, slots? yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Anyway, like it it it's it's very interesting. I, I, like even if you're not a camera person, people should should read this because it's 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 the first big step beyond like Sony releasing their mirrorless cameras and having dedicated like the past five years to making that a compelling. Um, value proposition for photographers nikon going into it and putting as much resources as they have behind it um really shows how um prosumer and professional photography like where that's going to go and um i uh, it's gonna be great competition for sony which is gonna make for better cameras which helps me and um i'm super interested to see what canon does because in terms of a company that is all about um handicapping new products to protect their most expensive products uh they are the king of that so it's gonna be interesting mm -hmm. <sighs> yep 
All right. Uh, Chef's Corner? Let's do it. All right. What you got? So I guess mine's a little um, general this week, but um, I've I've really gotten into the kind of, um, I I think as you would probably phrase it, the the Sonos lifestyle, (laughs) Um, which I guess maybe is kind of evolving into the AirPlay 2 lifestyle, but just the, the, the ability to have the set of speakers around your home all of which are running on the same wireless standard and being able to kind of instantly and reliably stream music or podcasts or whatever to those speakers is really great. And then adding kind of the further flexibility of having different uh, music playing to each of those speakers or, or having the same track play to each of those speakers. It's a really, um, it's a really cool thing. Um, and you know, you know, having a couple of different Sonos devices now and being able to play around with that has really highlighted that for me and kind of how useful and easy that is. So kind of that I, I was never, I was always kind of a, a Sonos skeptic. Um, I, a lot of that was more price related, and they've kind of done a done a big job of. Um, they've done a complete one eighty. They're yeah, they're, it's like they are super competitive right now. Right. So let me, let me ask a clarifying question. What what other Sonos capable speaker do you have besides the Beam? Well, so we so we have the Sonos One, which was the first speaker. Oh, since when? That was the first one we got. You've known that. I, I've I've mentioned that on on air. So we actually have two of those now. Did you get the one that has uh like you got it when the Echo or the Alexa integration came out? Correct. Okay. So, cool. so we have two of those now. Ooh. And the beam nice yeah so the the sonos the the beam is in the family room with the tv there's a sonos one in the living room and then there's another sonos one here in the office Uh, sorry home office or office office uh home office oh mega office got it Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah that's really cool because yeah sonos was always weird where like it, it like they were in this niche where um it was always like, oh yeah, like a whole home audio was like was like the province of like 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 rich people, like it just like that was a thing where because Sonos used to be like if you wanted that um, like whatever that white and silver gray box thing, like the whole Sonos system was like three grand, right? Whereas now, like no, that that that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, from like your perspective, like how do you, how do you tell it what room do you want to be in? Like how does AirPlay two look on iOS? Um, it's, you know, I mean, I can see if I, in real time, I could even just like try to send you a, um, Oh, you're going to wake up the special lady friend, um, played sugar Ray in the bedroom. Well, yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't actually start playing any audio, but I can like, um, try to show you the, like, is it the same menu? Like you're picking a Bluetooth speaker. It just shows different rooms. Yeah, ba- basically. Yeah. So I'll, oh, okay, I'll send cool. you the, the thing and the thing here, but yeah, it, it's, it, you know, you go to, you go to, you know, like just as if you were to go to select your uh, AirPods, you now basically have a list of speakers in the house and they've got, you know, a little speaker icon next to them and then you can, you know, give them each a name. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And you can select, you know, multiple rooms at the same time to have the same audio going to multiple speakers at the same time. Um 
I don't think this is a feature of AirPlay 2. I think this is something you would need to do within the Sonos app, but you can also then have different music going to different Sonos speakers. So just the, the flexibility of it, I think, is really neat, too. And it's just, you know, it, it's a lot like the Netflix streaming thing where a handful of years ago, it seemed like one of those kind of far-flung future ideas. And, you know, now it's just kind of here. I can just, you know, at a whim, stream music to a variety of speakers throughout the house. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, nice. All right, and then for I, I'm not sure I really have uh, have one, but I'm going to talk about something that that I that, that we talked about previously that I'm reaffirming my endorsement of, which is the um, the August Smart Lock. Mm-hmm. So I cannot say how nice it is to be able to go for a run or for a walk outside your house and not obviously because you can't run inside your house generally. <laughs> um, you can edit that out. Um, yeah, where you don't have to worry about keys. Like I used to have this really uh, inelegant. It was not not designed by Apple. Um, like a little like armband thing, where like it's just to hold keys. So like, and that's not a thing anymore. Where I just have like, and also, I guess this is more like an endorsement of not just the August Smart Lock, but also uh, the Failsafe, which is the August Smart Lock keypad. Because my success rate with the um, like the Zone Auto Unlock thing. It's like 85%. And that is not high enough. Where hmm. I feel if somebody bought this, like I don't get the thing where I get that push notification that I get maybe once a week that says like, oh yeah, we had trouble communicating with something, something, something. I still get the thing where um, either like it thinks I was in my car too long before before I like walked up to my front door or like it just doesn't unlock. Maybe just because like the my phone, like I hadn't interacted with my phone. So Bluetooth was still in like low energy mode or something. But I get often enough where the door doesn't unlock automatically. But having but having the keypad obviates that, and that's the thing where it's perfect. Because even even if it didn't do the auto unlocking and it was just like a keypad code, that still obviates the need for keys and would solve. It, it, it makes me happy. Yeah, the, for me, the auto unlock feature actually is very very reliable. It's the other ways of interacting with the smart lock that aren't, which for me are the Apple Watch app and HomeKit. Um, so if I'm, you know, leaving the, leaving the house but still staying close by, so if I'm taking out the trash or doing yard work or whatever, or I'm, you know, I'm not going far enough away that would trigger the, you know, auto unlock when I'm coming back, um, those other methods of unlocking the door for me are incredibly unreliable. I would say home kits 60% or something. And I would say the Apple watch app is, I don't know, 30%. I mean, it's the, the, those methods are, Jeez. yeah, it's, it's bad. Really, really bad. It's like a C minus. It is. Um, C minus minus, um, which is why when I think, you know, when I made my initial recommendation to you to get the smart lock, I, I think I really emphasize the fact that the keypad is like a thousand percent critical. It, without the keypad, I would absolutely not recommend an August smart lock. So that that is absolutely true. That's the thing where like, it, because if, if that were the case, if I had to open like, yeah, the, the keypad makes it, if I had to get out my phone um, and ever open the app or I had to like ever like disconnect or reconnect from Wi-Fi or 
do any type of troubleshooting to open my front door, like it would be uninstalled immediately. Yeah, well, here, like, whereas here, yeah. like it just having having the keypad, like I I have never I don't know if the Apple Watch app is installed because here's the thing: typing in five or six digits on a keypad is I I would never like I don't ever use apps on my watch. I would never touch the app on my watch right. because they just just type in the numbers. So like yeah, here's here's a different way of saying this: it, it, without the keypad, like so with the keypad. I don't bring my key with me uh, for my front door. I just, I, I trust that the, the if, if nothing else, the keypad is going to work. Mm-hmm. If the keypad weren't there, I would still bring a house key with me, which kind of defeats the point of having a smart lock in the first place. Exactly right. Like I have, I have not carried my house keys in three months mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that uh, recommendation. Um, that's very good. Yeah. People should go get it. I, the only thing is I actually, a quick question. When, have you ever looked at the door when it locks itself? Yes. And it does like the little color thing. Yes. Sometimes it, uh, it, like it does like the red circle all the way. And sometimes it only does it like three quarters of the Correct. way. Is that indicating anything? No. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> Can't tell you. It, um, I've always, it, because it's right next to my desk, I've always wondered. I'm like, yeah, is it is it that like it doesn't think like is it a battery indicator? No, but like no, how is it more charged sometimes? It's um, I actually, it's funny you bring that up. I noticed that fairly recently, and yeah, don't have a great answer. the the um, the device itself is a bit questionable. Like, just I think we've talked about this on air. The kind of rotational mechanism to manually unlock the door and lock the doors a bit flimsy i i had mentioned that it felt cheap and you felt uh, uh, reaffirmed or like you were like oh i was thinking the same thing but i didn't want to admit it well or like or like i thought mine was like broken (laughs) but yeah i think like my like mine it 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 feels not solid enough but i don't think it feels like actually I, i haven't i haven't had anybody else try to lock it um, like it's, we've just tried, we've trusted the auto lock thing. Yeah, but like I, I worry that if somebody's going to like be go too, uh, too forceful on it. And it's gonna, like it's going to twist off like an Oreo. So, <laughs> so I, I will say that is one other part about the August Smart Lock, which is a bit inconvenient. Is we, and actually the Model Three is similar to this too, which is when you have guests and they go to leave, there it's like how the hell do i unlock your door yeah technology shouldn't need uh like a bunch of ad hoc signage of how to open the door <laughs> right like i i 100 percent expect august maybe even in conjunction with this new you know nfc functionality in ios 12 to come out with some new generation of this of the smart lock that's going to be sleeker more intuitive better built like the, they they have to I'm happy it exists, and I'm also happy because, like, f- for somebody who rents, like, this is the only option, right? Like, and and the fact that they've they made it work as well as it does, like, it it's pretty good. I, I I'm happy I didn't live through the first two generations because I can't think of not how could it be worse, but like, I'm I'm interested. Like, if if this is a third gen refinement, like, how are the first ones? Well, yeah, um, but I, even even as a homeowner, the, the the I think the August implementation is still the, the best way to go. There's there's a lot of limitations with the other smart locks that are out there. There are ones that have keypads, but they're 
built into the lock itself so there it's like on your door which i don't like like i like that we have our keypad kind of tucked away in the corner discreetly um well yeah because if you have a keypad built in it makes it look like a rental property or like it makes it look like a, like yeah like somebody's running like a, a quasi-sanctioned airbnb exactly rather than a front door that's inviting to people and, and the whatnot. exactly um and as unreliable as the apple watch and HomeKit implementations are it's still nice to have because when they do work, they're very convenient. And a lot of these other smart locks are missing both or at least one of those. So yeah, I, I think the August smart lock overall is kind of the the best the best option. Yeah. So good pick. 